belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 23rd, 2022 is called, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? The teacher is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning again, everybody. For those of y'all listening on the podcast, my name is John Ray. This is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Recently, the barrier-breaking actor, Sidney Poitier, passed away. Uh, In one of his many landmark films, he plays the fiancé of a younger white woman who surprised both of their sets of parents with their engagement. It's called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Anybody seen that film? If you haven't watched it, we, we, Jane and I watched it again recently, just a couple nights ago. It was interesting what we remembered the film was about and then watching the film and, and then actually seeing what it was about. It was, it was really fascinating. For those of you ha- who haven't seen it, though, um, you know, the story obviously involves the conflicted responses from all four parents uh, of their friends and even of the housekeeper. And one of the most interesting things about this is the film came out in 1967 when interracial marriage was still illegal in 17 states. It wasn't until that year that, in the case of Loving versus Virginia, those laws were struck down. It's difficult for us to imagine now, all these years later, how this tangible representation of something that was so socially taboo at that time, and actually illegal in other places, changed people's perceptions. It's hard for us to to really understand what that representation did. Although, obviously, tragically, there remains a group of people still within all societies who would reject such a union, and their demands to be significantly more done to achieve anything even close to racial equality, equity, or justice in our country the film is not nearly so controversial now as it was then. We need to be cognizant of that when considering the impact of such things, how they may seem different to the original audience than they do to us. And the same thing happens with Scripture. As we come in and we read it and we see things, we go, well, of course that should be that way, or, or well, that's not controversial at all. When to the original audience, in the original context, it it could have been scandalous, just utterly alien, foreign, how something like that could happen. In this series that we've started the new year of talking about the table, of how God interacts with us, invites us, and what the table means, uh, we turn this week to a scripture in Revelation. Now, for many people, Revelation is a book best not to be touched. (laughs) Best not to be handled in any way because, again, in the popular imagination with a whole cottage industry of quote-unquote prophetic uh, pronouncements that supposedly are extracted from Revelation, uh, many, many of us would rather have nothing to do with it at all. We talked about that in the teaching team this week. Um, how that was, honestly, that was my stance for a long time. So I just didn't want to deal with revelation at all. And so uh, 
as all good dealing with fear we should all do we said well instead of being scared let's just jump both feet in and we took a whole summer and went through the book of revelation unpacking it and dealing with the most controversial and the hardest things to to reconcile and we had a great time of it and now i come away i love revelation um you can go back you can dig through the archives of the podcast and the teaching team and find all those things but let's just say that kind of revelation in the popular fundamentalist imagination is not where we ended up. We ended up with something different. But this text this week, we see Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9, it says this. This is a vision that the writer of Revelation is having. Then I heard what sounded like the voice of a vast throng, like the roar of many waters, and like the loud crashes of thunder. And, and it's the the... In Hebrew, the cadence of this is poetic, where we read um, sounded or roar or crashes. In the Hebrew, it's literally the sound, the sound, the sound. It's this repetitive, uh, poetic repetition. And they were shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the all-powerful reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. She was permitted to be dressed in bright, clean, fine linen for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write the following. Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the lamb. He also said to me, these are the true words of God. These are the true words of God, this, this wedding celebration. It's, uh, it's interesting when we, when we understand Genesis and Revelation, as we do as the, the first and the last chapters in the book, that, that they are inviting us back to return in Revelation. This, this intimate walking with, dining with, being with God and creation is how creation was intended to be. That's the telos of creation is this oneness of God and humanity, God in all creation, and how we start to see that restored in Revelation with that. And the big idea here is, among the many ways we could look at this, is that God's heart and design is for everyone from everywhere to have a seat at the table. Other ways, there's commentary on this, right, where it says, I looked around and I saw people from every tribe and every tongue, and we'll talk about that later. But we need to have our imagination just infused with this idea that at the table, everyone is there. The gospel of kingdom stands in opposition to our idea that it, that our specialness rests in exclusiveness. We quickly jump from, hey, you're special, you're chosen, you're loved, to that is exclusive. And in a way, that's, un- that's inescapable. We can't escape that, right? Because as humans, we only have so much capacity. I only have so much capacity for love, for attention. I just, I love, I love everybody, right? But I can only spend time with a few. I can only give my attention to a few. And so we're, we're literally brought up with this understanding that, that if I'm special, that's exclusive. And then we project that back onto God. We say, okay, well, well, if I'm loved and I'm special, I'm exclusive. If we're loved, then we're exclusive, right? 
we're projecting that back onto God. And the testimony of Revelation and the testimony of the table is, no. <laughs> God's love has no limits. God's attention span is forever and for everybody. We all get the same attention. Our specialness in God's sight does not equate to exclusiveness with that. That's tough to wrap our brains around, right? Because we just don't, we don't understand that. We don't love, we can't love that way, in a way. So what do, what do we learn from this? What does this mean for us? Well, Laura made a great comment in, in teaching that, that in the weeks preceding this, we've talked about the table that Jesus' admonition has always been, look at those who are excluded. Look at those who are purposely left out. How do we... How is Jesus bringing those people in? And here the focus turns to the ultimate answer is everybody. Everybody's included. This, is, this banquet is for everyone. And, and again, in our modern society, there is a whole industry of wedding invitations. Websites and printers and designers, who's going to get invited to the wedding? I mean, it's, it's, I can't imagine the amount of money that is spent on wedding invitations with that, right? And here, this idea is, is more like the, the Middle Eastern um, and Near Eastern pattern that took place at this time, is that if you invited people who were around you, everybody was invited. If someone in the village was getting married, if someone was in the town, all the neighbors came. All the neighbors came with that. And it was just a matter of the capacity of the host as to what that would be like. So we see God of infinite capacity. That means everybody gets in. Nobody is limited by scarcity with that. So we see that this is about everybody. And again, I mentioned it earlier, this, this commentary on this from Revelation 7-9, every tribe and every nation. And we need to be careful with this because those of us especially who grew up um, working and being involved in mission organizations, this verse was often used in kind of a colonizing way, a very patronizing, colonizing way, like kind of like, oh, we've got all this stuff. Now let's just go help the little poor people come in. And even though that was never stated, unfortunately, that's kind of how it often worked out with that. So we have to be, we have to be really careful because we go, from, we go from one error to the other with this kind of thing. The first error, which probably most of us in here don't really honestly deal with, is that there's no seat at the table for me. I mean, just by the fact that you're here, by the fact that you're watching on Facebook Live, by the fact that you're listening to this and you're involved in church, you probably have a pretty good sense of, hey, I belong. I may not agree with everything. I may not feel on the inside circle, but I've got a seat at the table. It may not be the best seat, but, but I'm here. But there are countless others, and I would dare say the majority of people, there's no seat for them. At least that's what they feel. They may not have the right theology or dress the right way or function the same way in society or the same political views or whatever, but there's all these excluding, excluding barriers and they're like, I, I don't have a seat at the table. So that's one extreme 
reaction to this that, that's not good. The other one that I dare say most of us here, myself included, so I'm talking about myself here, is that I have the seat at the table. I mean, it's just foregone conclusion. I got a seat. I mean, I got I got the seat. Like I've I've prayed the right prayer, said the right thing. I got the right skin color, right sexual orientation, right gender, right language, right passport, right. Like I got the seat at the table, and this is where we we slip into this colonizing, this patronizing, right? It's like, uh, so everybody kind of needs to be like me. Sure, everybody can come here just. Just, just do what I did. Be who I am. And you can have a seat as well. And y'all, I get it. We don't do this consciously. Right? We don't do it consciously. It's not like we set out to be arrogant and exclusive and limiting in this. It's just, it's the world we live in. It just seeps into us with that. So as we look at this, we have to, we have to recognize that so that knowing that we'll probably never be free from it, I'll never be totally free from it, but I can recognize it. I can work around that. I can, see, I can see that this invitation, instead of an affirmation of my own righteousness, is instead an invitation to humility. It's an invitation to humbly receive, not arrogantly assume. And that allows me, I think, then to offer the invitation to others with that same humility, with that same concern, with that same compassion, with that same spirit, with that. So that's the first thing, I think. So we have to understand that. The second thing we have to understand, and I love this, is that food is a really big deal to God. Um, Jane and I, we, we've talked about this a lot. And of course, I grew up in the restaurant business. I grew up in the, in the hospitality industry. And, uh, and we've made it a point that we want every one of our kids to at least some point in their life wait tables. The actual idea, the actual word Diakonos, deacon, in Greek, in the New Testament, is one who waits on tables. One who serves tables. And especially in our modern society, if you want to learn about human nature, you'll learn how people really are, you go wait a Sunday brunch somewhere. Go, go, go wait tables. Do it. It's, it's incredible what you will learn from it. But, in this idea that God is really into food. Food matters. We're not just spirits. We're not just thoughts. We're not just ideas. We're corporal. We eat. We digest. We expel. And then we do it all over again with this. And what we eat affects who we are, how we think, how we feel, how we are able to be for other people and be for ourselves. Food matters with that. And I find it interesting that in this, this idea of reconciliation and feasting are put together. So yes, food matters in, its, in and of itself. We all need it. We all need it for substance. But it plays a particular role in, in restoration. 
it, it plays a particular role in bringing people together. And I think maybe part of it is the commonality. Part of it is just recognition we all need to eat. We all need to drink. We all, we all need to do that. And I think part of it also is this idea that this thing that if it is held in scarcity, we, exclude, we use it to exclude other people. By offering it freely and with hospitality, it breaks down those barriers. It, it includes people. It tells people that they are safe with us. And as they take it, we are safe with them. So this act of eating together and what we eat and how we eat is, is directly related to these ideas of reconciliation. And we could talk about that all day long. And, and honestly, as a church, this is something that we're, we're continuing to consider as where we will land with a more physical space, a more permanent space where we do. Does it have the ability to do that, to share meals together with that? We're, symbolically, we take the meal every week, which is great. We need to do this. this is, but this is a symbol of what is to come. It's not the symbol. It's a symbol. I think the meals that we share around kitchen tables are also a symbol of that. When we are inviting people into our homes and we are sharing meals together, we are opening that time with that. So we need to, we need to understand that that's not just doing that as something we need to do to sustain ourselves, but actually it's spiritual worship. It's spiritual in its nature of sharing that. And so with that, I ask, what's our reaction supposed to be to all this? What's the gift in this? Well, I think, right, we, we need to receive this with humility, with gratitude, with real joy, and with real expectation that we're not alone in this. We need, to, we need to be concerned about those others coming in. We also need to understand the focus of all this, right? The thing that brings the people around the table is the host. The bridegroom in this case, Jesus. This centers on the person of Jesus. I was just recently reading, um, this is going to sound super pretentious, so it's not. I, I'm not trying to make it sound that way. But I was reading about Eastern Greek, Greek Orthodox theology as it relates to, to the gospel. And they, in the, in the Orthodox church, if you ask them what the gospel is, well, let me ask, if I ask y'all what the gospel is, what would you say? The good news, right? You would, you, would, you would talk about it as a proclamation, as a message, as an idea, as a theology, as something like that. If you ask a, an Eastern Orthodox believer, you say, what is the gospel? They would say Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus physically and tangibly is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Jesus embodies that. The life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus is the good news, is the gospel with that. I find that challenging and encouraging. And when we look at this, when we look at this at every table that we set, right, it needs to be in this understanding that God is the host. God is the one who is providing this. God is the one who is reconciling. Through us, yes. Through the meal, yes. But it is God who is doing that. It is Jesus who is doing that. And then I think 
in that, you know, we remember that this is about, it's not about earning, it's about learning. We're practicing hospitality. We're practicing this reconciliation. We're practicing sitting down with people that otherwise we may not choose to eat with or associate with at all, but we purposely do that. And I thought about this, um, <clears throat> and I thought about it in the terms, I almost did this as a kid's message. I was almost like, Charlie, this is what I want you to do this week with your mom and your dad. Um, but then I thought, no, I think we all need to do it. Just offering this, you don't have to do it. You don't come to church for homework, I know that. But here's your homework. Who do you want to invite to dinner? This year, 2022. Who do you want to have at your table? Hey, it could be one. That's great. You could say, hey, we're going to do one a month, once a month. We're going to purposely eat with someone that we wouldn't otherwise eat with. That we wouldn't just normally, not our normal circle, not our normal friends, not the normal people we hang out with. That, that couple that you've wanted to get together with for a long time. Or maybe someone that is totally unlike you. Some, one, of our, one of our friends who's coming in through the canopy refugee resettlement system with that. Somebody totally different. But make a list. Be, be intentional about that. Who do you want to invite to your table with that? I think that goes to start to transform our imaginations around this. And that's, that's the whole idea, right? Is that we have to get our imaginations right to this. To really connect to it. And y'all, this is crucial that this happens because I got to tell you, I'm worried. I'm, I shouldn't be. I know. Just being honest with you. Because I, I see some things that this pandemic culture is doing to us. Concerned. I, I, that's what I hope to be. I hope just to be concerned about it, but, I, but I'm just being honest with you. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. I see that, that this pandemic culture is exposing more and more our behaviors and habits that are unhealthy. How as a society we have outsourced hospitality. We don't, we don't practice it ourselves, we outsource it. And look, restaurants are great, stuff like that, but nothing replaces having someone in your home. Jane and I experienced this just last night, like nothing replaces that with that. I think it's exposing our, our tendency to hoard things. Hoarding is, is just this real tangible sign of fear. Not just things like toilet paper and, you know, milk or whatever it is when the next snowstorm's coming, but I mean hoarding our time, hoarding, hoarding our circle in there of who we're open to. It's exposing our fear of contamination and theft. Now, I'm not saying be, in regard to COVID, I'm not saying do anything stupid, you know, with that. You know, I'm not, that's what I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about that that's, in a way, we've, we've, we've pulled that idea out into all other areas of our life that don't need to be masked up. 
with that. Our imagination is like we're quarantining our affections. We're quarantining our emotional connections. We're quarantining those who we think about and care about. We're we're quarantining those things off just into our ever-shrinking circle of us. This concerns me. We, we seems like our tendency is just to enforce a smaller and small, smaller circle of people that we really know. And this constant message of the marketers out there hammering the idea that it's all just about us, our comfort, our pleasure, our preferences, me, 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 sure ain't helping. Our economy runs on more about you, less for them. And when we end up, this, what happens is we end up imagining the banquet as something more from survivor than from scripture. Tim brought this up, this, you know, there's usually in every episode or season of Survivor, after the people have been competing, competing against each other, right? Conniving and competing and doing this stuff that there comes an episode where one team is going to get a feast and the rest of the teams are going to be left out. And I mean, it's just, it's just malicious in the way they do it, right? They make the feast, they let everybody see it. And then the team that wins comes to get to sit down and all those who are left out have to just watch them eat or wander off hungry. And y'all, I hate to say it, but I would say that if in our, the way that we practice hospitality, the way that we, the way, the way that we imagine the kingdom of God is more formed by survivor than it is by scripture. It's more this idea that, hey, I got to get what I get to get. And if I get it, I get to do it at the expense of others. Scripture will have none of that. Jesus will have none of that. And that's why we have to practice this. It's because it's ingrained in us to do that. Survivor works because it works. The show works because it reflects something that connects truly with all of us. We need to recognize that and repent of it. And so that's why we practice hospitality as one of our core values at Grace, providing an invitation to belong. It's, it's core to our practice of becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more infused with an imagination that comes from Scripture and the kingdom than from Survivor. And this forms and is reflected in everything we say we believe. Now, you may have been made uncomfortable. I was made uncomfortable saying this stuff. I don't like saying this stuff. I don't like getting up here and admitting to you the things that I struggle with. I just, that's what it is. But I want to end with hope here. Because it's easy to go down that path of all the things that we're doing wrong, all the things that are against us, all the things that are weighing on us, and then just keep going down that path. <laughs> End up huddled, sucking our thumb in a fetal position, right? In a corner somewhere. 
Y'all, here's the hope. If I'm, if I'm scared about those things, if I'm worried about those things, if I'm concerned about these things, I got to tell you, I got more hope than concern. And this is just as equally true. I have more hope than I have concern on this. Because of who we are, what God is doing in us, among us and through us, where we are as a church, the opportunities that we have. Y'all, we have this incredible opportunity coming out of this pandemic where people are longing and asking questions, not being right now encumbered with a whole structure of having to maintain things the way we've always done them. We are free to move into the new application, the new understanding of what God is doing out of this. We are poised and ready to do that. And we have been practicing and learning these things that as the culture changes more and these things open up, we will be there to practice them. We will be there to walk into those things, to lead in those things. I am incredibly hopeful, much more so than any fear that I have, that that is the opportunity we have. We just need to keep our eyes fixed on that and not the things holding us back. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and those serving communions, communion to come up. And I love, right, like this is where we go in our services. We come to the table now. We do this every week. Is The invitation is for that reconciliation that, that this table signifies. You don't withhold bread from a friend. You don't withhold wine from your family. Jesus offers us this. He doesn't withhold himself. Jesus withholds nothing good from us. Every week we get to come and taste that, the goodness that God does. Our table is open to everyone who is seeking Jesus with that. So like I said, we're going to maintain our distance as we come in. We also use this time to reflect. Hey, is there something that's been spoken to you you need to act on? Write it down now. Don't As soon as you walk out of here, everything's going to come swooping back in and you're like, write it down. Intend to do that. This time we also take our offering. We have a physical offering box, but you can give online. But we do that as part of our worship, recognizing that everyone here has something to give. And all of us have some have a need. None of us here is just the giver, and none of us here is just the getter. We're all givers and getters. That's why we share the communion. That's why we share the offering. That's why we give our worship. So, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchfwa.org. Grace and